Howdy do, y'all. I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Today's customers expect fast, personalized support. Intercom has the tools you need to deliver just that, efficiently, at any scale. Supercharge your team's productivity and make your customers super happy with Intercom. Learn more at intercom.com slash support. Hello, this is Jared Goodstadt, and you're listening to Occupational Therapy, a series where I look for my next job after my 10-year reign as the king of jingles, a.k.a. Jingle Jared. This is a fun way of discovering what other jobs I'm qualified for by chatting with some of the most incredible experts across the field of media, music, sports, and even journalists. Today, we're talking with the legendary Don Lemon. During COVID, we spent a lot of time doom scrolling the news, and one face that brought me comfort night after night was the one and only Don Lemon. It has been a bizarre last 12 months, to say the least, but this is someone who always came in with a very measured approach, very sensible take on world events, and his story is absolutely incredible. How he got to where he is today is a story unto itself. I'm very excited that he agreed to do this podcast because he's one of the biggest journalists in the world, and not only that, but he's entered into the podcast space and recently released a book. He is really across all media doing incredible things, and I'm proud to say that before COVID, we were forging a very nice friendship that has now turned digital, so I don't get to see him, but every now and then we catch up through some group chats and hanging out with people on Zoom happy hours, and and he was nice enough to come on my show, so I hope you enjoy this episode. Journalist, author, podcaster, Don Lemon. This is not actually you. This is just a picture of you, right? That actually, that's just a picture of me. That's not... uh that's not how I look during these COVID times right now, to be honest. I have not showered in days. I'm wearing a t-shirt that I had on for last night for dinner that it was, uh, it was my first night off and I've been working six days, but it was my first real night off because my last day off was last week when they installed my upgraded studio in my house and it wasn't a real day off because they had like a million questions. I just had to keep Keep going up and down the stairs to answer their questions. So it wasn't like a day off. So we pigged out on um, the seafood place down the street. It was so good. <laughs> Shrimp pizza and lobster uh, grilled cheese. It's just amazing. Mm. So I got like t-shirt that has stuff all over it. It's bad. You would want to- this is good. It's a non-visual appearance. I guess we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll jump right in. Well, uh, this is uh my podcast called Occupational Therapy. Uh, I'm the self-proclaimed number one jingle writer and also uh, some facts to back that up as well. Uh, over the last, you know, several years, that was my profession and I hit a major, uh, 
uh, I guess, identity crisis after I sold my business. So I'm talking with other people who have some of the most interesting uh, and different professions in the world to ask them how difficult it is to get to where they got. And so far this season, we've talked to NBA player JaVale McGee, you know, our buddy Steve Levitan, who created one of the biggest TV shows of all time. We've, I spoke to the guy who ran the Beatles record label. And now I think you're the first uh, serious journalist I've spoken to. Um, and that is a, a very interesting occupation. I think a lot of people often wonder, how do I get that job? So can you tell me a little bit about where uh, this all started for you and how you actually got into journalism? Oh, my gosh. <clears throat> yeah. But the first thing I do is go <clears throat> on a podcast. That's not good. <laughs> <laughs> that was very professional, Don, the journalist. Oh, how did I get this job? Let's see. I hadn't even thought about that. I was <laughs> working at it's kind of it's kind of a long story, but not too long. I was working at at uh, in local, and I always wanted to work for NBC. And I said I always wanted to be on a Today Show. I wanted to be Bryant Gumble when I was growing up. And I got to NBC, and quite honestly, as a as a as a correspondent in New York, and I hated it because I was never at home. I was always on the road, and. Um, Long story short, I went to, um, they offered me a job as the anchor in Chicago, local news anchor, um, because the local news anchor was, uh, the guy who was the main anchor there was sick and he had cancer and they wanted to have a bench as a replacement in case something happened to him. And I went to Chicago as the guy who was going to be the next, you know, anchor in case something happened to the main guy. And um, nothing ever happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> what a wonderful story! <laughs> and and but that wasn't really why. And I I hated being back in local news. I missed I missed doing like uh, big news stories. And uh, I decided like after three years that I needed to be back in um, like in uh, in national news. And so I went. And I started doing documentaries and things on my own while I was doing local news because I was so bored doing like standing in front of places and doing live shots on like stabbings and shootings and that sort of thing. And what year is that that, that you're doing? This was in 2006, around 2000. Well, this was uh, 2003 to 2006. I went back to Chicago from New York to do local news, which was interesting because that's how I met Barack Obama and I would never <laughs> have met him and I would never have known him and, and his sort of rise to national fame. And so during that time I met him, I knew his family not very closely, but just I was a local news anchor and I would introduce him at these chicken dinners and I followed his career. And so he went from state senator to uh, U.S. senator during the time that I was in Chicago and I got to see that rise and follow him. And um, the, the, when he became the U.S. senator, I was actually at his opponent's headquarters, um, Alan Keyes, and my co-anchor was at his headquarters. So I got to be there when he gave the speech at the Democratic Convention. I got to see his entire rise. Uh, and then when he became president, I was at CNN and got to cover it. So anyways, long story short, CNN recognized it. They saw my um, documentary that I did on HIV and AIDS in Africa. I shot it all on my own and did the entire thing. And they said that I, we want that guy. And that's how I got the job at CNN as an anchor. But that's wow. not how I got my current job as a primetime anchor. That was a whole different story at CNN. 
Hold on, before the we go into that, so this documentary you shot and you filmed it and you edited it and produced the whole thing. Where did this documentary end up, or was it just like a piece to show people that you were a serious storyteller? Like, did this end up getting you know television, uh, you know, distribution, or was this a film? Well, yeah, it was on it was on HIV AIDS. I, I, I set out to shoot a documentary on HIV and AIDS um, on children in um, in Africa. Um, because I, you know, it was, it, it was ravaging Africa. So I bought my own equipment. I still have this camera. I bought my own equipment. I took a student from Columbia Journalism School, uh, in Chicago and we paid for our own equipment. Uh, I bought his plane ticket. I bought mine. I paid for the hotel rooms, what I, what have you. And we just, I, I did all of the, <clears throat> excuse me. I did all the connections. I booked everything from the drug companies that were helping out, um, the Clinton Foundation. We visited their hospitals. I mean, we shot and edited everything. Uh, we did some things that were then we called them blogs or blogs, video blogs. We sent them back to my station. This was all my own money. They, they provided. Oh. And then when we got back, I did a three-night series on the news. So my, it was my, uh, my own video blog, sort of uh, web docu-series documentary. And then I did it for the local NBC station um, when we got back. And then um, we were, we, the NBC nightly news wanted to do something on it, but I think it was right during the time when we got back that Katrina happened uh, right or right around the time and that never ended up not airing and then they shipped me off to Katrina Oof. but it was all during the time and then CNN um, because of my agency um, you know my news agency you know CNN got uh, wind of me and saw my work and then they plucked me out of Chicago and I started working for CNN <laughs> so how many years, uh, you know, at CNN, I imagine there's a bit of a star system there. And, um, you know, you come in there, it's a, you know, global uh, news, uh, you know, globally recognized as, as a, one of the, you know, shining stars in, in journalism. How long does it take for you to go from just getting in the door there to being the star of your own, you know, show and, and where you are now? Oh my gosh. So I was at CNN in Atlanta. I didn't want to move to Atlanta, but that's where the job was. I anchored the afternoons in Atlanta from 2006 to I think 2009 or something like that. From I anchored from one o'clock in the afternoon from one to four before Wolf Blitzer in the Situation Room. And so I, I had a co-anchor, Kira Phillips, and we would anchor uh, in the afternoon. And then uh, from 2009 to 2013, I did weekend evenings at CNN. Uh, I was a primetime, and then I would do fill-in, and then I would do uh, – I was a correspondent for the network. And then Jeff Zucker came and said, hey, you were great. You're great. I really love your work. I remember you from, in, from NBC when you were a network correspondent. Huh. Um, I like your work. I think you're you know really cool. And I said – I'm glad you do because I can't live in Atlanta any longer. And if I have to stay in Atlanta, <laughs> I'm going to leave CNN because I can no longer live here because I need to live in New York city. And he said, well, that's uh, great. Um, move. 
to New York and you don't have to leave CNN. And so Jeff Zucker moved me to New York City and started putting me on prime time and the rest is history. The airplane, the, the Malaysian airplane went down and um, he put me on that show at night. It, it was a special report, the mystery of flight MH370. Yeah. And I never left prime time. Wow. And so I, I was going to say, like, every journalist has, like, that one moment with that they're, you know, known for, I guess, like, Wolf, that was the original Gulf War. And with uh, Anderson, that might have been Katrina, you know, I don't know. But for you, was that, like, when they were just like, okay, this is, you know, let's let's push him into the spotlight. Was that around that time? Yeah, it was. I mean, uh, I you can never be... Uh, bigger or judge news, you know, people say, oh, I don't want to do this. There were people who did not want to do the airplane. They, you know, they, they sort of turn their nose up. They're like, this isn't real news. I want to do, you know, I'm a serious journalist and blah, 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 blah. And so there were actually people who didn't want to do it. And I can understand there were people who wanted to do long form news. There were people who wanted to do political news. And I raised my hand and I said, I'll do the airplane. Yeah. I'll, I'll sit there every day and talk about it. Nobody knows where the airplane is. Fine. I'll sit there all day. I don't care where it is. I'll sit there and say for hours and say, we don't know where this plane is. And <laughs> so let's bring on this expert and let's do that. I will do it for as long as you want me to do it. And Jeff said, okay, great. And so um, I did the mystery of flight 370, which was um, initially Piers Morgan show and staff. And so I took over Piers Morgan show staff and office. And never looked back. And initially, uh, it was the first show that Jeff Zucker original programming that he put on the air. Wow! And he called it Flightline. And if you <laughs> ask him, he'll tell you that I, I am the first successful show that he put on at CNN. That's crazy. He's still on the air, yeah. Um, uh, a lot of people who, uh, don't know what the world of working in, uh, journalism is like, I, you know, must think that it's really actually easy, but I see it as being really hard. The hours are insane. I, I don't know if you know this about me. My first job, one of my first jobs when I was a TV editor before I was Jingle Jared, I worked for Al Roker and his lifestyle and his hours he kept was, I would never want that in a million years. Like his one o'clock in the afternoon was like 8 p.m. for most people. You know, like he has to be up at a certain time and it's insane. It's ins so do you, did you have to ever have that upside down life where you were up when it's pitch dark and all that stuff? My life is upside down now. I leave for work now at 5.30 or 6 in the evening only. And I leave at that time only now because there's no traffic. And because I try to limit my time in the building because there's nobody there when I get there. Our, the building is empty. We have 10% of our workforce, you know, in the building now because of the <laughs> coronavirus. But, um, you know, and, and it's not quite, it's not that different because usually I'm, I live in the city and I'm usually in the city, but I usually leave for work around four or five in the evening when I'm in the city because my show is on at 10 o'clock. So my schedule is the reverse of everybody else's. <laughs> so it's so when everybody else is awake and, and, you know, running around and doing their thing, I'm asleep or I'm at home. So my hours and everybody's going to dinner, I'm going to work. Uh. Everybody's having breakfast, I'm asleep. So my hours are different. And when I was trying to, you know, become a primetime anchor and, and get a show like everybody else is, that, you know, and, and, you know, that everybody desires and wants, you know, everybody wants to be on. 
in the evening, unless you, you know, unless you are lucky enough to have a morning gig, which is, you know, great. But that morning show, the hours are brutal as well. So either if you're on TV, you want like a morning gig, right? You want to be on like a Robin Roberts or an Al Roker or yeah. right, a Katie Couric or that sort of thing. Or you want like a Don Lemon or Anderson Cooper or Chris Cuomo. You want one of those or Rachel Maddow. That's where you want to be if you're like one of those things. Or it used to be like an Oprah, but like afternoon, those shows are, or Ellen, those shows are kind of going away, right? Like, yeah. And those are the hardest. Those are the, the I guess, I, I imagine the most difficult to get, you know, having that like broad daytime syndicated, you know, thing. Yeah. Cause Ellen really makes her own hours. Ellen makes her own hours. And those shows are, those are great. Um, you know, unless you do a judge show, those are great. You know, the heyday of those shows are Oprah. Ellen is like a, a unicorn now, right? Those shows yeah. are not the same anymore. She's she's a unicorn. She's great. She's doing. She's killing it. But <laughs> I imagine, like after Ellen, um, there's not going to be many of those anymore. Because you remember there used to be Ellen and Ricky and Oprah. And, oh yeah, yeah. Springer. <laughs> anyway, to get back to what I'm saying is, so the the hours are are killer. So you know, Al Roker's up at what four in the morning or whatever, and so he has to get up. So the same thing for me. So I, I get home at 1245 or, you know, and then I'm in bed by three or four. So it's tough. And then when I was starting, I was not only doing my show at night, but I was also filling in. And sometimes I would fill in in the morning for John Berman, who's on early or Chris Cuomo. Uh, and then I would do, you know, fill in, in the afternoon for somebody else. And then I would do my show at night because you you're doing it because you want you want the gig. And so there were days and weeks when I would work seven days or, or I would, I would barely get sleep or I would sleep in the hotel across the street and I'd wake up and do hits for other people's show or I would go out and do, you know, be a correspondent in the field and fill in because you want the gig. And so it's, it's not as easy as people think. No, I'm, it's, it seems like it's a competitive lifestyle. It seems like there's not a ton of time for, you know, social life and all that other stuff. Cause the thing that occurred to me with, you know, even the Roker thing is, and by the way, I'd rather have the night gig than the morning gig. Cause I would hate to, you know, just be up that early. But I was wondering, like, how does he see his family? How does he, you know, his kid's bedtime must be like after his, you know, like he's probably in bed yeah. by like seven o'clock. And if anything, you know, wakes you up in the middle of the night, you're just like going to be fried the next day. This schedule, if I have kids, which I plan to, I think would be better for me to see my kids because I could actually during the day to school, you know, in the morning, have a nap, like go to the gym or whatever, or work out and do have a nap and then actually pick them up in the afternoon, right. For mm -hmm. school and then head off to my job. And then, yeah. like, you know, get home and, like, look in on and see them in bed. This would be a better gig to have than a morning show because that would be brutal. I got all I got all my kids around me right now during this uh, COVID madness. I'm, believe it or not, uh, this is the last question for you, but it all ties in. You Don't know, tell anybody, Jared, I, I like this. My life hasn't really changed that much except for my commute because <laughs> my, partner, my partner doesn't want to be in the city. But if we we're in the city, my life wouldn't be that different. So I kind of, and I like being the intimacy and uh, having everybody around and not having to, you know, I'm kind of a recluse anyway. So this is the strangest time ever because I really, 
you know, I know there's so many people out there that are like really, really struggling, but I am launching my business like out of a tiny room with all the technology that I need to get what I have to get done. This is one of 10 series that I'm working on. This is the only one that I'm, you know, personally, you know, the, the talent on, but the, I'm just getting a lot of stuff done. Like there's no distractions. There's nothing going on in the outside world. There's nothing calling me to Craig's to dinners with my, with my friends. Like I am just like in like focus mode. But the, this last question I want to ask you is, you know, coming from, you know, a journalism background where you've shot things, you've edited things, you know, right now I'm seeing a lot of, uh, creators not being able to get their stories out because they're just not good at technology or they don't have the ability to get good sound or edit or create things. How are you doing all your shows right now with, with the skeleton staff? Do you have to be more hands-on or is everything set up around you? Everything is, is set up around me. I mean, I have a home studio. I haven't had a chance to use it yet, but I actually like it because I'm of two minds. I miss the, the guys and gals. I don't mean that in a sexist way. In the, I missed the, having that interaction with them and reacting to stories um, and just sort of joking around with them or when something is serious, crying with them. Mm-hmm. But I also like the intimacy. It puts me closer to the audience because I'm in a, a studio by myself. Now I'm in a sort of a remote studio. We call it a flash studio, and it's just me. Yeah. And um, I, so I am a recluse, but I feel in a way closer to my audience. So I, I react to the people at home. So I feel more, it's more intimate to me. And I actually feel like I'm talking to people. It's like one-on-one to me. It's That's weird. Right. Like when I'm in, when I'm in the big studio, I, I'm talking to the audience, but I'm also speaking and reacting to the people who are in the studio, almost like a mini audience. Yeah. But when I'm in that little box studio, I'm like with my people at home. It's it's amazing to see how adaptive everyone's been uh, in this thing. You know, obviously, I've seen it on constant loop during the day, just checking it every morning to make sure uh, that, you know, the world is still turning. But um, even, you know, Cuomo, seeing what he's done with, you know, broadcasting from home, it, it's weird. It's like it's like a new old technology. We have these like cell phones and we have these laptops and, you know, people will look back on 2020 and go, our news was looked a lot smaller and the heads looked a lot more compressed than we were even two years earlier. But I guess this is out of necessity. We're just using the communication tools of the moment to, to just make stuff happen. Yeah. And I think the bosses are like, oh, my gosh, what's this going to look like? And how are people going to accept us? And, you know, our anchors or our people are going to look like everybody else. Maybe I don't know. The facade is going to be gone. But I think people are very accepting and very forgiving. And I actually think people like it. You know, um, I remember one of our anchors went on TV and and I uh, the first time without, you know, a professional makeup person and mm-hmm. not in the big studio with all the, the you know, the major lighting. And I said, what did she look like to one of my producers? and said, she looked fine. She looked like a, like a 40-year-old woman. Yeah. Oh, okay. That was okay. We're living through a revolution here. Where I don't think really we're anybody. I think people just want to hear people's voices, hear people's stories. And I do think there's more of an intimacy to it. I think that, you know... <laughs> Uh, you know, obviously, it's a real bummer that uh, that your your buddy and your your you know coworker Cuomo got COVID, but it also possibly humanized him and really brought people into the human drama of of who he is uh, over the last little while too. 
I completely agree. And I think it would do that for all of our anchors. I think you need to see us at home in our element. Like, you know, I think people would love to see, you know, even me like at home, you know, where I live with my dogs or whatever, they'd be like, Oh, that's where, that's who he is. That's where he lives. <laughs> it takes the facade away with all the, the thing is, is that I don't think that I'm that different. And I don't think that Chris is that different. I just think that the thing that makes us successful those things are enhanced when you put us in an environment that's even more of who we are. And I think yeah, yeah. people are drawn to that even more. So I think you're right about Chris. You just see who he is even more so. Well, um, I appreciate you coming in and, you know, giving me a bit of a snapshot about what it takes to, you know, be in your occupation. Well, I wanted to say if you had one piece of advice to anybody out there, because, you know, to me, um, I, I think I'm going to pass on being a journalist after ta- hearing all about the crazy hours and, you know, everything in there. But I feel anyone as an entrepreneur or a creative or a uh, someone who just wants so to just ask wants you a question, Jared. Yes, go for it. OK, so, Jared, who do you think you are? I used to be Jingle Jared, and now I realize, you know, that was like everybody's clown and trying to drum up work by being the fun music guy. I'm evolving uh, into just Jared, just a just a regular Jared. <laughs> and uh, I like telling stories, and I like, uh, I think in this career, I'm going to be a bit more behind the scenes than instead of trying to be Mickey Mouse and Walt Disney. I think this go-around, I, I want to be uh, Walt Disney instead of Mickey Mouse and actually create, you know, great stories and you know, obviously the timing of launching a media business during uh, what's happening now. I just got backed by MGM and a few other companies, you know, in the uh, media space. But in a weird way, um, the timing of telling stories with audio only uh, kind of has, you know, become an opportunity to just make a lot. There's more talent at home doing, uh, you know, with free time on their hands than ever before. We're doing, you know, we're working with everybody from Billy Bob Thornton right now to, you know, Dennis Quaid to, you know, I just came off a project with Bob Dylan and it seems like more people are willing to take some risks on, uh, this, this audio, uh, storytelling thing, the theater of the mind, uh, than ever before. So, you know, as my dad, the, uh, Jewish Canadian farmer once told me, he said, while there's sun, make hay. So <laughs> during this COVID, I'm not really going to be sitting around, you know, uh, trying to feel sorry for myself. I'm just going to rock and roll. So you were going to ask me what my advice is. So, yeah, so, so yeah. you, just, you just gave it, you just gave the advice. My advice is that what I, you, whoever it is, whatever this universe is, just connect to this because my advice is always to make hay while the sun shines. Oh, wow. Strip away everything, all of the fake facade and just be who you are. That's how I got to where I am. I'm always who I am, whether it's the president of the United States or the people who disinfect the studio whenever I leave every night, just be more of who you are, whether it's this environment or whatever it is, that's it. Thank you. That's amazing. You're such a, it's been so awesome to get to know you through uh, our mutual friend, Jay and Steve. I can't wait till this is over so we can uh, have some laughs and uh, just keep, keep uh, doing what you're doing. You're making everybody feel safe and connected to the world. So I appreciate you coming on the show. All right, Jared. Thank you. Keep killing it. Thank you. Have a good one. Wash your hands. Oh, I will. (laughs) Bye. That was incredible. Thank you for listening. Don is such a fascinating person, and I feel privileged that he was able to sit down with me 
The guests that we have are really incredible because I get so much from listening to their stories, not only as an entrepreneur, but just as a human being here, how these people have created their own paths, forged their own destinies at a time when uh, people are really reassessing every aspect of their life during COVID. I hope that people are getting something and taking something great away from these conversations. I know that I am. If you enjoy the show, please give it a five-star review. It really helps people discover the show. We're really proud of it, and we're proud to have our listeners supporting it in the way that you do. To learn more about this podcast, check out audioup.com, or you can go to Spotify or Apple and anywhere else you stream media to get this podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Join us next time on Conversations from the Audio Chateau Occupational Therapy. Hey, how'd it do, y'all? I'm Uncle Drank, star of the ballad of Uncle Drank. It is a scripted musical podcast about the life and times of me, fictional golf and western country music pioneer, Uncle Drank. The series also stars Luke Wilson, Brian Kelly, Chelsea Lynn, Kinky Friedman, and Billy Zane as a talking blender named Blendy. You can find The Ballad of Uncle Drank on Sirius XM, Pandora, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.